Welcome to another episode of Local First Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kohansky. Uh, welcome today. I'm very excited because we have a Olympian here, and she is an American short track speed skater. She is a two-time medalist, one silver, one bronze in the 2010 Winter Olympics. She's also the owner of Fix Your Mindset, Performance Mindset and Coaching. Let me welcome Catherine Adamick. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So, okay, so now we're done with the Olympics. I mean, what what's left? What's left there to do? Oh, uh, you know, if you'd asked if you'd asked me in that moment, I couldn't tell you. I I guess uh Go to all the media things that get lined up for you after the games. But when that's over, there's a whole lot of life left, and I had no plan. You know, and I hear that a lot with you know athletes and and people that have these these high achievements. That once they get there and they get on the top, and then they come back to the civilian life or whatever. What I call it civilian mm-hmm. life, being an ex former army sergeant, so I call it civilian life for the listeners. Is that What's next? You achieve this high level of accomplishment, especially at a, such a young age. What do you do with the rest of your life? Yeah, so I that's where my story gets interesting. Like I have this cookie cutter story of success early on, and then I have a ton of adversity that forces me to learn. And so this is actually the part of my story that I I really enjoy telling because after 2010, I needed a, I needed a hip surgery. I had a torn labrum. Um, in that time. Um, there was just some volatility in my family. My grandpa had a stroke and passed away and I was in Utah and my family was in Illinois and I just felt helpless and I couldn't train and I couldn't be there for them. And that was the hardest physical and emotional time that I'd been, I'd been through in my life at that point anyway. And, um, so coming back from that surgery was not just about proving myself as an athlete. It was about getting back in control as a person. And so um, I had a phenomenal 2011 season. Uh, I'm pretty excited to tell you that I'm the only American woman to ever win a World Cup title in the short of world of short in the sport of short track speed skating. Um, and so that was in 2011. I won a world championship um, overall or not overall, a world championship medal in the 1500 meter and I got second overall in that event. So, um, it was my best season by far. Um, shortly after that, I needed two more hip surgeries and I never, is that just from like the extensive training and the work that you do as like a normal athlete would do it? Just, you just wear yourself out, just chronic overuse and overtraining and just your body at some point, your body can't keep going. Um, and so I needed two more surgeries. I was in rehab for about two years and the, the deadline for the 2014, Olympic trials to qualify for them, that deadline was approaching and I had not trained a full training cycle in two years. And so it just, the writing on the wall became very clear that I'm, I'm not going to be able to make it back in time. And that was, that was hard to deal with because I felt like that wasn't my choice. I, I do you know, I feel like being young and dumb, I didn't manage my injury very well, but I was, I also developed a lot of resentment in that time that I did have, I made this agreement with my coach, right? That he was supposed to have my back and look out for me and help me when I needed it. And I, I had a phenomenal relationship with my sports psychologist and my nutritionist and my strength and conditioning coach. And when I needed help the most, when I needed my community and my high performance staff the most, I didn't have them. And, um, 
you know, being an adult now, I can see the the role that politics plays in the workplace and I get it. At the time, I didn't get it. And I just felt mad and angry and resentful and alone. And so that didn't help. So there, there it is. They're like, now I'm officially in civilian life. I'm not going to make it back in time for 2014. And I'm feeling lonely and resentful. And I don't know what I'm going to do next. And so I got a job coaching here in Milwaukee. I moved to Milwaukee. My husband came with me. We weren't married at that time, but now we're married. Um, but I was carrying a lot of that resentment and unhappiness with me. And it was impacting the my ability to connect with the kids that I coached, to make new friends in this new community. It was affecting my relationship uh, with my husband, with my parents, with my friends from back home. Like it was really, um, the toxicity in my thoughts was bleeding out into every single avenue of my life. And that was miserable. And my husband did me a huge favor by being honest with me and expressing to me, like, I'm really worried about you because you're pretty miserable. And if we're going to spend a life together, I'd, I'd like for you to figure that out, <laughs> you right? know, and try to feel better. Um, and so I decided that I would make a comeback to short track speed skating and that even if I wasn't as good as I was before, I would at least, first of all, be able to finish on my own terms. But second of all, be able to kind of gain that sense of control back that I'm not waiting for someone else to step in and save me. I'm very purposefully going in and taking control of my own outcome. Whether it's whether it's the outcome that I want or not isn't the point. The point that I will carry myself in a way that I'm proud of, as opposed to this way I've been carrying myself, which is not consistent with my values and character. Um, that having that opportunity at a redo was really what it was about. Um, and so I actually made it back onto the national team. I stayed here in Milwaukee to train, um, but I'd go out to Salt Lake City to do relay camps or you know whatever they needed me to do. Um, I got back on the World Cup team, my first World Cup back um, at an elite level. I set a new American record. I had several top six finishes. So no medals, but still, I mean, to be back in A finals, to be back in medal contention after so much time off was very validating. Um, I made the world championship team and then I fell and I got a concussion. And one week of symptoms turned into two, turned into four. And here we are again, that deadline is approaching. The writing on the wall is becoming clear. I'm not going to be healthy in time to actually go and compete at world championships. And that was heartbreaking. Like, this is what I've worked for. Because you can't just be a medalist at the games out of nowhere. You have to establish yourself as a medal contender on the World Cup and World Championships circuit. And the longer my concussion symptoms lasted, the further away I got from that um, assertion of, I'm, a, I'm someone to contend with at the next Olympic Games. Um, and my symptoms, I remember at the three-month mark, I got a phone call from one of the doctors at the USOC, and he just said, Catherine, I'm getting worried about you. Um, after three months, we don't call it a concussion anymore. We call it post-concussive syndrome. And so we want to fly you out to Salt Lake. We want you to work with some specialists, figure out what's going on. Um, and to this day, I don't know that I can even remember the exact terminology of what was wrong, but it was something in the way that my eyes couldn't focus or track properly that was causing pretty significant headaches. And uh, uh, my, the higher my heart rate would go, the blurrier my vision would get, so I'd get even worse headaches. And um, it was really tough. It, it was I was getting symptoms 
all the way through Olympic trials, even a couple months after Olympic trials. And so, again, time's running out. The deadline is approaching. Um, so I remember going to a competition in August. Olympic trials were in December. And not only was I coming back from my concussion, but I'd, I had just done a stupid workout. I tried to do too much at once, and I re-injured my, my back. I re- that old hip injury. Yeah, yeah I re-injured that. Um, and I was going into this competition – And that is really one of the many moments in my comeback where mindset made all the difference in the world because what I decided to do with that week of competition was to make it an extreme practice in mindfulness. And it's so easy when something, when you see the writing on the wall to play out your fear of the future. Maybe this doesn't work. Maybe I don't belong here. Maybe I maybe I was silly to even try and I can't really do this. And no 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 Telling no. Telling those stories in your head over and over and trying yeah. They're not even true. Nope. They're just stories. Just making them up as you go. Yes, but you get <laughs> emotional and attached yeah. to them as if your fear that something won't work out is the same thing as a reality. Like but it's not reality. It's future. It's just it's thoughts lost in the future. And so every moment became an extreme act in mindfulness. What am I doing right now? Well, I'm just spinning on the bike right now. Okay, just spinning on the bike. I'm just talking to my mom on the phone. I'm just skating in circles, turning left. That's all I'm doing. And trying to keep it as simple and as present as possible. Um, And I started out the competition, I think in 13th, and I finished the competition in fifth, and I qualified to go to the Olympic um, qualifiers. So this isn't the Olympic team, but this is the international competition you go to to earn spots for USA to race at the Olympics. Went to those competitions, um, earned a full quota of spots for ladies in the 1500 meter at the, in, um, in Pyeongchang, which I'm in, intensely proud of. Um, just having, even if I couldn't be on the team, because I didn't, I'll, spoiler alert, I didn't make the team. <laughs> <laughs> um, to have the opportunity to impact others in a way that meant that more people got to go to the games because of the role that I played. I'm very proud of that. Um, and so coming back from Olympic qualifiers, it was about a month until Olympic trials. I was skating within a tenth of the second of all my personal best times. Um, to be, I'll be honest, my preparation hadn't been where it needed to be with my concussion symptoms. I knew full well that I was not as strong as I needed to be if I wanted to securely make the team, but I know I'm a veteran. I know how to race smart. I know how to be in the right place at the right time. And all I have to do is not think too much and not overdo it. And, um, so again, constant practice and mindfulness. And I was just about as mindful as I could possibly be. And other women just plain out competed me. They were they were phenomenal. My competitors were perfect on the days it's, that they it's, needed it's to awesome be. It's awesome that you give credit to to those other athletes, you know, for for doing that. And I also got to give you a lot of credit for, you know, what what I call is like looking yourself in the mirror, and mm-hmm. you know, realizing, hey, something's not right or something's not working. And like when you say, is just be in the moment and the present and stick to that, and and get rid of all those stories. Yeah. You know, and it is it's something that you know. People have to learn how to do, and it's not something that comes easy. Because when you look in the mirror, you see things and you hear things that are fearful, mm-hmm. scary, mm-hmm. and they don't know they're doing what's going to happen. Yeah. But like when you said, when you said, I'm just making left turns on the ice, I'm on the bike, mm-hmm. talking like that, and you break those things down into the smallest little steps to get to where you want to go. Yeah. 
I have a I had a coach, um, a mindset coach. She's actually a counselor out in Brookfield. Her name's uh, Di Philippi, and she taught me one of my favorite coaching strategies that I use with athletes now, which is the five ninety five rule. And that anything that's got you really triggered and anxious and worked up is five percent what's happening now, and ninety five percent what's happened in the past. And so, um, if I'm you know if I'm turning left on ice and I don't hit and I don't hit the lap time I want to hit. of my frustration is that I didn't go as fast as I wanted. 95% is my fear that this means I won't make the team. And that feels overwhelming in that moment. And again, your thoughts start to feel true. You start to listen to them like your fears are actually reality. But then you come back. What's what's the 5%? I didn't hit the lap time. Okay, well, how about next time I go a little faster? (laughs) Right. I can do that. I'm in control of that. The next lap can be faster than the previous one. And I don't have to tell myself that story. I don't have to go down the path that the 95% is triggering over fear of the future or fear of the past or whatever emotions are coming up in that moment. Um, So, yeah, that that was just one of the many things I learned throughout my experience. And that's really cool that you share your story. And that's all part of this podcast is about is, you know, sharing those stories from, you know, and the struggles and the successes of what you've been going through. And that's what I do on the show. And that's, I, I love it. I get goosebumps when I hear these stories and, and I truly, truly appreciate that. Now I want to take it to the next, next chapter, if you will, is, you know, you take all this, what you've learned over the years of coming up through being an Olympian and trying to go back and just missing out on all that, even though trying your best, but then you take everything that you learn and now you're using it within, you know, fix your mindset and performance mindset coaching, you know, what, why, why you, I mean, you could have done, uh, you know, a hundred thousand different things. Why did you say, you know what, I'm going to take everything I learned and now I'm going to help other people with that. I, the biggest reason why was because of my own journey, because I had so much success in 2010, and I very much remember feeling like life should be easy now. I mean, all the th- I have the things, I have these tangible things that prove that I'm good enough, that prove my worth, my value, my success. Sir. Yeah. Yes. And then I remember shortly after, about three months later, I was back to training and gosh darn it, training felt even harder now. And I was back out in Salt Lake City and I was having just as much trouble as I'd ever had developing relationships and keeping relationships with my friends in Illinois going. And I remember the first phone call I got from my dad after the games where he, my dad, it, my all dads, right? It's your job to help your children succeed at, at, at life. And Every once in a while, that means that you have to offer some constructive criticism. Well, kids don't like that very much. And they, they don't want to hear from their fathers and on top of it. No, I, and and I, when my dad and I have had this talk where sometimes I don't need a coach, sometimes I just need a dad. Like, just tell me I'll be okay. And he responds super well to that. And we have that line between coach and dad more or less figured out. But I remember in that moment feeling like this is so unfair. What else could I possibly do to prove myself? I have medals. Like, I thought I would never get constructively criticized again because how much more perfect can you be? Um, and then that's that's when I found out that perfect isn't real. And as a coach, I saw my own athletes going through that same struggle. And so after my comeback, what I wanted to do was help people understand um, how to manage that more effectively because 
I remember the last race at Olympic trials. And so it was a, it was a B final. I had not qualified for the A final, which means that I had zero chance to make the team. There was nothing that I, that anyone could do to get me enough points to make that Olympic team. And my family was texting me before the, before the race. And they're saying, we're so sorry. We can't believe you didn't, we didn't make it. We, we really, we really believed that you could. And what can we do? How can we help? And I texted back and I said, cheer for me. Like nothing is wrong cheer for me like you've never been more proud and when I went out to the B final they did they really really did and that feeling of good enough has stuck with me so much more intensely than the feeling I had for medals ever could and that's what I want high performers to understand. That's what I want to help people to know. And whether you're a high performer in your sport, at your school, in your work, in your family life, whatever that is, we all fall into these same default mindsets where we tell ourselves stories or we we, we have negative self-talk, we struggle with confidence, we struggle with resilience. And there are strategies to overcome this there are strategies to bring an intense amount of meaning and purpose into your life with or without the result that you're looking for. And um, learning that lesson for myself and experiencing how powerful that could be is what motivates me to teach it to the next generation of high performers. That's really cool. And you talk about the performance mindset coaching where it combines the, the research of, um, I stutter sometimes, so neuroscience, sports, psychology, which your mm-hmm. clients say, what are some of those skills that, that you help them achieve? The biggest one that I work with, um, there's a couple. So one of them is confidence um, and just helping people understand the very baby steps to developing confidence. And my favorite saying in that in regards to confidence is competence builds confidence. And so we have to become very competent in the smallest ways. And then once we're competent at step one, we have the confidence to attempt step two. We're competent at step two. We have the confidence to attempt step three. And one reason I see people struggle with confidence is because we expect to be confident at step 10 overnight, but we have no competence built up to feel like, yeah, I can do that. And so it's really a matter of breaking down your biggest struggle into manageable bites pieces and then putting yourself in a situation where you get to practice things that you're uncomfortable with and over time continue to raise the bar so that you're pushing your comfort zone but you also have enough experience to to know that you can do it to know that you can handle a new challenge Um, another one I, I help with is this idea of black and white thinking and we get stuck in either thinking I'm awesome or I'm I suck and it's like if you didn't achieve the goal perfectly, you can't be happy with where you're at. And that's not only is that not true, but it's impossible to live a meaningful, purposeful life when you're constantly battling the two the two sides of the coin of I'm awesome or I suck. What I like to help people do is find all the shades of gray, find all the ways that they bring meaning and purpose, not only to their life, but to the people around them and find find more motivation in this idea of baby steps daily than in the idea of chasing perfect. Tell me a story when, you know, you're using, you know, these tools that you've learned throughout your athletic career and how you're making a difference in someone else's life. So I had a a group of female athletes in the weight room, again, for Milwaukee Junior Admirals uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was teaching them how to do a single arm overhead lift. And because they're 16, they tend to, you know, 
gossip and chit chat and struggle to stay focused anyway. And then I ask them to do a, a moderately complex skill where they have to hold a weight over their head. And we've now we've layered in an element of fear. And um, they were very resistant to learning this new skill. A lot of screaming, a lot of like, oh my God, I can't. Coach, <laughs> oh my God, did you see that? I almost got hit in the head. And I'm like, Ladies, <laughs> ladies, please. First of all, the worst thing that's going to happen is the weight's going to get over your head and you're going to bail. You're going to drop the weight, take one step to the left, the weight will fall and you'll be fine. That's the worst case scenario. Um, of course, if you, you know, if you're not responsible in the weight room and you're not aware of how to bail out from a complex lift, you can hurt yourself, but I'm not teaching them things that I haven't also taught them how to stay safe in. Um, and so, what I, I stopped the music, I told everybody to stop training, and I said, fear that you can't isn't the same as you can't. And so I need you to separate from the idea that you're afraid that this won't work out, and I need you to come back to this idea that if you follow the steps I've lined out for you, this will work out. And I got a lot of like silent head nods and just, you know, huh. And I like to think that I'm helping youth athletes recognize the difference between your emotions getting in the way versus there being an actual physical, tangible obstacle. Because obstacles really aren't that hard to get over. As coaches, we see them, we plan for them, we know how to program our workouts around them. Um, but emotions, they get in the way and they just stay there. And so unless you kind of make a plan for how to separate from those emotions, the physical obstacles feel insurmountable. I have to take a quick stop here just to, to think Exacto Corporation for keeping the lights on here is Studio 1A, um, providing all this great studio and the equipment that we have here to have this conversation. Is there any book or resources that have guided you through this process? Yeah. So my favorite resource that I um, recommend to most athletes and just high performers in general who work with me is an app called Vision Pursue. And so Vision Pursue was actually my sports psychologist during my comeback. His name is Dr. Ian Canole. He has partnered with a company called Vision Pursue that's created a performance mindset app. Um, it's a 10-week curriculum with daily practices that take about 10 to 15 minutes a day. That's how I was introduced to the idea of performance mindset. And again, we have lots of strategies, but that's my favorite resource to recommend to anyone who's interested in learning more about how to fix their own mindset. And I'll make sure and put a link for that in the, the show notes. So if anybody that's interested, we get you that in your hands very simply. And it's, I imagine Android iPhone, iOS, and all those good apps. Yeah, and you can even, I don't know that you can download it onto your desktop, but once you have it downloaded onto your phone, you can also open it up through your desktop. And something else I'll also offer to your listeners is I have a discount code with the company. And so if you'd like to try the app for free for 12 days and then get 20% off from there on out, you can use the access code capital A, capital A, huh, sorry, capital K, capital A, capital C, 12. Yes. There you go. Uh, what's got you fired up about the future? Ooh, good question. Um, honestly, I think what's got me most fired up is the opportunity to work with more teams and organizations from a performance mindset coaching perspective. I, I enjoy helping individuals, but I, I really find that impacting culture is the biggest way that I can make a difference for individuals and teaching leadership how to manage um, 
performing at a high level. And it's not always just up to you. You have a whole team of people whose performance impacts your performance. Um, again, whether that's as a team or a sales team, an athletic team, a marketing team, we all have the same performance mindset struggles. They just show up in different ways. And so I've gotten some opportunities recently to do a lot of public speaking as well as a lot of group training seminars. And I think that's what I'm most excited for is continuing to develop myself as a coach to learn the right words to help all the people that need help out there, but also the opportunity to chase down more opportunities to help more people. No doubt. And if you're looking to have Catherine on or speak for you as a keynote speaker, make sure you go to her website and there is a tab out there where you can contact her for more information. And that leads into how does the listeners get in contact with you, whether it be your website, social media, uh, what is all that? Yeah, so on my website is uh, fixyourmindset.com and there's a you know pretty pretty good layout of all the thing all the services that I offer, but I also try to keep my content on social media as fresh and new as possible. And so on Twitter and Instagram, my username is at Kat Adamic, and then on Facebook it's Katherine Reuter Adamic. Very cool, very cool. So we got into let's see, we went through the Olympics, we went through that, we got through your ups and downs. And what you do, what you took from that to help others. Now we're going to do some rapid fire questions. Sounds good. Um, but before we get into that, you get to ask me one question. You can ask me anything you want, and I'll do my best to answer it for you. Um, I would like for you to share something in your army experience, um, but I got to I got to refine this down. We've talked a little bit about embrace the suck, and you nodded right away. You, you know that concept. Tell me about the first time you learned embrace the suck and what a difference it's made for you. I can. It goes back to, and I can visually see this, and I have it on VHS, <laughs> is that I date myself a little bit there. Um, during basic training, we had a obstacle course. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys that was in our class was an ex-Marine and already been through all of this. And all of us were brand new. And like I told you before, I am, I'm very competitive. I do not give up. Mm -hmm. I don't care how bad it feels. And just like you said, you got to have that mindset. So everybody's gone through this obstacle course at least once or twice already to get familiar with it. And then the drill starters came back and said, like, okay, let's have a competition and see who is the fastest through this entire thing. So right away, this, this Marine, ex-Marine comes in and he goes, I'll do it. And I'm like, well, then I'll do it too. Mm -hmm. And this guy was like, he was like already the the gunhole soldier, the the, the Semper Fi Marine and all like that. But I was like, you know, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to beat your ass at this. I am not going to do this. And in the beginning, the the obstacle course was about a mile long. I mean, a lot of different things that you had to go through. And I can remember that I was really far behind, but I would you like know, to suck it up? And I was just like, you know, I just kept going and I caught up to him at the last obstacle and beat him nice. because I just would not give up. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I always go back to that. I was like, if you have the mindset to go and do what you want to do and really push through all of that and just keep pushing yourself, you, yeah. you may not get the win, but you're going to, you're going to feel a lot better about yourself. Absolutely. I'd, I'd like to just add on quickly that some of, some of the times my, my biggest motivator as an athlete, and I try to tap into that now too, is not whether or not I win, but how proud of myself I will feel when I finish. And if I give up early, I know I won't be proud. But if I finish, and even if I lose, I will still be proud of my effort. And I chase that feeling of pride even more than the actual win sometimes. Yeah. 
And you know, that's it makes you so much feel better like when you know you gave it your all regardless of the outcome. Absolutely. That's cool. Okay, my turn. Mm -hmm. um, these questions come out of uh, Tools of Titans with Tim Ferriss. If you listen to my show, you probably already know this. One of my favorite questions is if you could give a TED Talk about any subject outside of your expertise, outside of being an athlete, outside being a coach, what would it be? Well, this might be cheating because it's still kind of in the same realm, but I would talk about the power of marriage, which sounds a little silly maybe, but the day that I got married was the day that I realized that feeling eternally grateful and lovable was a very real true part of my process. And I got married when I was 29. So like, I feel like that's pretty late in life to experience a moment of true gratitude and love from others. And how I just talk about how much that feeling changed my life. That, that's so cool that you say that. I married my best friend. Oh, me too. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, we can get off of that. All right. Um, if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere, what would it say? Oh, man, I, you know, we got to prep me next time. No, for that's the, the whole purpose <laughs> of this. Um, a gigantic, oh, man. I think I would have to have it say, um, Baby steps daily. I mean, I, I, that it needs more context than that, though. So it, it would probably be a little bit of a paragraph, and it would say, "Set your goal, visualize for it, and take baby steps daily." Are we going to be able to see that as we're driving by at fifty-five miles an hour? I'm done. Uh, you're right. You're right. Can we come back <laughs> to that know, one? You know, know what? That's that's fine. We're just, we're just having fun with this. Okay. So we're going to do one more question, then we're going to wrap this up. And I think this, I'm, I'm going to shoot you a softball at this one. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Um, almost all of my failures set me up for later success because I at least have the perspective of what I've learned. Um, or there was this hidden trap door that I didn't even see all along that I didn't know was there. Um, and I'll share something one of my teammates used to say to me, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And so when you view failure in that way, you're always getting something out of it. It's just not what you wanted, but that doesn't make it any less valuable. No. And you got to take away from those failures to build on your future success. Yeah, absolutely. You really do. So any last request for the audience and any last parting words? Um, I would love for anyone who is listening to shoot me a message, shoot me an email, a, a direct message, whatever it is. Tell me how mindset has impacted your life. Tell me whether it's something you're struggling with and you need help or it's something that you're like, man, I got this and it worked and I did it. Tell me about it. I love to hear stories and, and especially stories about mindset. That's very cool, Catherine. Thank you for so much for being on Local First Podcast. It's a joy listening to your story. Um, again, let's carry this conversation online. Set Catherine or myself a direct message so we can figure out uh, what your mindset is. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you.